Welcome to the Newsbusters podcast with your host, executive editor of Newsbusters, Tim Graham. Hello and welcome from Reston, Virginia. While we are still here and not watching the planes land at Dulles Airport in our new offices, there's breaking non-news on the Biden scandals. If you haven't heard, the House Oversight Committee under James Comer, not Comey, Comer, is showing another big check to Joey Biden from his brother Jimmy. Comer is calling it laundered China money. Once again, they're presenting a physical check, but somehow all those so-called accountability machines in the liberal media are on the fritz. I took time today uh, to watch all three evening newscasts from Tuesday night. I just thought, hey, I, I want to take a look and see how they covered everything that happened yesterday. Um, the Things happening in the war, things happening on the Hill. But, you know, I'm watching these. And personally, I just find it a little annoying how much time they take up just summarizing what stories they're going to be doing. And they list like seven of them. I think they're doing like 11 stories and they preview seven of them and it takes like two or two and a half minutes. And there's really only like 22 minutes of news time. Now, obviously we can guess they learned from doing focus groups or something that this helps people from flipping to another channel. Cause, Oh, there's a story I'm interested in on this list you just had. Now, for the average viewer, there's really not much reason to watch more than one of these evening newscasts. They all often share about half the same stories. So on Tuesday, everybody led with the Israeli army bombing a refugee camp where a Hamas commander was located. Everyone had FBI Director Christopher Wray testifying in the Hill. Everyone promoted the leftist wackos of Code Pink screaming for a ceasefire in Gaza at a hearing with Secretary of State Antony Blinken and Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin. They didn't call these code pink wackos leftists or not liberals or progressives. They, NBC said they were anti-war. Well, just about everybody could be described as anti-war. Not many people are pro-war. It's funny that these people get upset when you call them pro-abortion. Well, no, I'm pro-choice. I'm not pro-abortion. No, you're in favor of abortion, therefore. But they, you know, they would, they anti-war, that's fine with them. Uh, but uh, here's what I found fascinating in the whole thing. There were sound bites of the FBI director. There were sound bites of the Secretary of State. There were sound bites of the Secretary of Defense. But there was no actual sound bites of the members of Congress asking questions to these Biden administration officials in the hearings they were attending. These screeching wackos got more sound bites than our elected representatives. ABC in particular was letting the move on people screech, cease fire. This is what happens under Democrats. They, they, they just want the Biden officials to speak and they don't wanna hear any Republicans talk back or ask tough questions. Now, they would like Democrats ripping Republican presidents or their appointees in hearings, just the same way that they liked reporters fighting with Trump in the briefing room or reporters fighting with Sean Spicer or Kayleigh McEnany in the briefing room. But now there's no need for questions from members of Congress. 
we don't really need to see congressional oversight in action. I'm just asking this question now when I watch evening newscasts. Do Republicans get sound bites criticizing Team Biden? I don't find much of that. Here's what we saw in snippets from Republicans on Tuesday night. CBS ran a pro-life Idaho Republican, but he was confessing that their abortion ban was too strict, that life of the mother should probably be health of the mother. So the Republicans making a point that CBS likes. Uh, NBC ran a soundbite of Senator Lindsey Graham, but he was trashing fellow Republicans like the guys in the House because they really need to pair aid to Ukraine with aid to Israel, or they're all naive. Now, the, a little prize goes to ABC last night for actually running a clip of new speaker Mike Johnson making a Republican argument, even if the actual soundbite was from Fox News. These network shows are absolutely positively allergic to Republicans criticizing Biden. Not on my show. Not on my watch. But on Tuesday night, even President Biden was almost absent from the newscasts. The one Biden critical soundbite came from a Palestinian in Minneapolis. Gabe Gutierrez was talking to both sides. Jews in Minneapolis, Palestinians in Minneapolis. And the Palestinian guy says, I'm done voting for Biden. You know, because he's now been so staunchly in support of Israel. So let's just underline one of our typical points at Newsbusters. These networks claim to love democracy, but if you go to watch these shows, you won't find an actual democracy where there's a debate, where Republicans get to push back on the Democrats. Now, one of the other things we tend to do when we watch the evening news is we say, now, how does that compare to, say, special report with Brett Bayer? Now, the Brett Bayer show had a lot of the same stories that the, uh, that the other evening news networks had, but, of course, their shows are 30 minutes and Bayer's is 60. So there was Bayer interviewing Ted Cruz about the House proposal to fund Israel without strings. There we go. Republicans get to talk somewhere on television. Yeah, there's a reason Fox is popular, because it's what the other networks refuse to put on is what you can get at the Fox News channel. There was also an interesting story, in case you missed it, Peter Ducey was telling Fox viewers about a Politico story where a gaggle of former Kamala Harris aides, and hey, there's plenty of those former aides because the revolving door out of Kamala's office spins furiously that these people were all advising the vice president and supposedly the president, quote, we must firmly and unequivocally reject the Israeli government's exploitation of these deaths to stage a retaliatory and genocidal campaign against civilians. So that not only indicts these people for now, suggesting that it's Israel that's committing genocide. These were people Kamala Harris and Joe Biden picked to work in the White House. That is really a sad thing. But this is the kind of story... It comes from a liberal media source. It's Politico. Fox News was doing the story, but it came from Politico. So you wouldn't say it was just a Fox News story. But notice, ABC, CBS, NBC, nobody had this. The PBS NewsHour? Come on. PBS NewsHour, by the way, also didn't have any Republican 
questioning the Biden administration people. You know, they they take Republican tax dollars, but they really don't feel any need to actually put Republicans on PBS. Joining us now in the Newsbusters podcast is a first-time guest. He's humble. He's soft-spoken. We joke he's antisocial. It's news analyst Alex Christie. Alex majored in poli-sci at Western Washington University. Before he was on staff here, he was a Newsbusters intern, which is a great way to start in conservative media, if we may be so humble. Welcome, Alex. Thank you. Good to be here. Now, one of the things that you've spent a lot of time on when you get in in the morning is the late night comedy shows. Now, you've had quite a vacation during this Hollywood writer's strike. Um, But I think we all had this idea when they came back. It's like, how much pent up demand to trash Trump is there going to be? So um, we have on Newsbusters your study on what you found here uh, when they returned to the air in October. Um, Was it everything we expected yeah it was uh when they came back from the strike uh jimmy kimmel actually said trump getting indicted was like the one thing that could possibly get him to cross the picket line (laughs) that's true so uh they they they've been looking forward to this to this so i guess what we found was 247 jokes about trump in their first 42 shows it was uh what, October 2 through October 20? Three weeks. And so, uh, yes, we had a one-week study, and then October 7 happened. So then we we lengthened the study. Two, 247 jokes about Trump to 45 jokes about Biden. That's probably what you'd expect. That's 80. So of the two, like, as of right now, the top two presidential candidates in the country— the Republican has 85% of the jokes directed towards them. I think that's generally true of Republicans and Democrats in late night comedy, that they always seem to favor mocking the Republican. Uh, You make the point that most of the jokes about Biden are them just making fun of his age. They're not really making fun of his anything else about what he's doing. Yeah. Most of the jokes about Biden are the, you know, he's an old man who does old man things and falls off his bicycle. You know, they do, you know, you know, Trump's not that young. So they do Trump is old jokes, too. But they also do, you know, Trump is a horrible person. Right. You know, he's got legal problems, even with, uh, you know, they both have classified documents scandals. Right. um, But when they joke about Biden's documents, it's still in the vein of. He's an old man, so of course he forgets stuff, and the documents are from the Spanish-American War. So, Yeah, it's sort of downplaying the severity. And I think what you get concerned about is when anybody says they get their news from late-night comedy shows, that's really frightening because they're getting that distorted picture. Now, it's not that the evening newscasts are doing a lot on Joe Biden's classified documents probe. But it, it is this sort of thing that they're uh, they're downplaying. I mean, that's probably the only Biden scandal they're mentioning. You know, you know, I mean, there's not enough Biden scandals the news are doing that they would find it was grist for jokes. Then there's that part of the pipeline. And then you uh, we looked at some other things like the Democrats, like 
Robert Menendez indicted for bribery. Uh, that was barely joked about. I guess they, they were. It was only Colbert. Yeah, yeah. Um, so throughout three weeks of shows, there were two jokes about the chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee being indicted as a unregistered foreign agent of Egypt. Um, well, Colbert likes making this yeah. joke about how it was a da da pyramid scheme. Yeah. And, and and of these two jokes, like whenever Stephen Colbert jokes about somebody, he'll find like a really unflattering picture of them and say, this is so-and-so seen here looking like fill in the blank. He said a basketball, yeah, so, business basketball. So one of the two Menendez jokes was how Bob Menendez looks like a basketball. The other one was about the actual scandal. And I should mention when he came back from the strike, Seth Meyers gave this really sort of long-winded recap of everything that happened and he mentioned the bob menendez scandal but just sort of mentioning it that it happened and that it exists is not a joke is not a joke so that's that's true and then there was nothing on jamal bowman pulling a congressional fire alarm and claiming that he thought that's the way you would open the door yeah and this is another thing it's like when we talk about the difference between republicans and democrats um like another part of the study uh, is George Santos. Yes. George Santos in two weeks, because the news about Santos broke in the second week of this three-week study, he got 72 total jokes as a freshman Republican who probably won't win re-election. <laughs> He's one and done. Let's yeah. just guess. And so there's obviously jokes to be made about George Santos and his let's just say embellishments of his resume and <laughs> things of that sort. And yet between the freshman Republican, the chairman of the Senate foreign relations committee and the fire alarm polar. Yeah. George Santos got 97% of the jokes. And since this study ended, that trend has only continued. Yeah. I think that this once again is these, we know what the late night comedians are doing. And that is they're there. They have a base of support. They they have viewers that are expecting this sort of liberal content. Um, we'll underline once again that Jimmy Kimmel basically said, if you're a Republican, I don't want you watching my show. Yeah. Um, it was again, it was outside the, the purview of this study. But earlier this week uh, on The Daily Show, their current temp host is Charlemagne the God. Yeah. And uh, he had Nancy Mason, you know, and at the end, they're talking about why are you impeaching Biden? And the audience was clearly agitated with what she was trying to say. Mm -hmm. And then also earlier this week, Seth Meyers did a bit where he's talking about how it's possible that the country could elect an old man who doesn't really know what's going on and blah, 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 blah. And then he plays a montage of just Trump bloopers. Yes. You know, and he was like, if you fell for that, if you thought I was really going to talk about Joe Biden, then you haven't been then you don't watch this show. Yep. So Seth Meyers specifically knows what his audience is and what it wants. Yes. And sometimes they're explicit about it. And sometimes when, you know, reporters come around and talk to them about what they're trying to do or, you know, the. What's her name? Trish Bendix at the New York Times has sort of this nightly review of the of the late night jokes. Um, sometimes it gives you a clue as to what the liberals liked on the late night shows. 
um, they just present them as, well, they're comedians. Mm -hmm. They don't really present them as Democrat-pleasing comedians. Uh, now, the other thing you were working on, you've been working on for a while, actually, is a study of Nazi analogies on TV. This was not something I would have thought of, but I think it's it's become really appropriate in the last couple of weeks, but you've been working on this for a while. You based it on what they call Godwin's Law. What is that? So Godwin's Law is uh, basically this theory or this observation, if you will, by a guy named Mike Godwin. And it states that the longer an internet conversation goes on, the chances that somebody or something will be compared to either Adolf Hitler or the Nazis approaches one. And my inspir the, the, the genesis of this in my head was that occasionally you would hear somebody, like especially a Republican, would compare something to the Nazis or Hitler or the Holocaust. And everybody and people in the media would get all righteous and offended. Like, how dare you say that? But it's like also at Newsbusters, we have several items where somebody is comparing a Republican to Hitler or the Nazis. And so the discrepancy there seemed obvious, and I wanted to see if it actually was, and it was. Yeah, no, th this was the interesting part. And I think when you originally said, well, I'm actually chronicling and counting the number of Nazi analogies, let's start by looking at the actual numbers, and then we'll get into that whole issue of were they condemned on the set or in the conversation they were in the middle of? And, and that's, that is a really interesting observation, uh, which I guess we all kind of know that uh, the Democrats can call you a Nazi and it's fine. And if you call a Democrat a Nazi or Hitler or fascist, that's somehow the rudest possible thing. Uh, you started by noting Joe Scarborough in April was all offended that uh, one of his guns right supporter friends said that Joe sounded like Hitler or Pol Pot and he was upset. But the reality is, who's the most obvious offender of Nazi analogies? It's Joe Scarborough. <laughs> and his and tied for, with him was uh, Ruth Ben Giat, the yeah. the professor. Yeah, uh, Ruth Ben Giat is one of these professors they bring along who is. Billed as somebody who is like an expert in authoritarianism, in uh, rising authoritarianism, especially like what, how it happens. She's wrote, written a book like the history of, I forget the exact title, but it's basically like the history of straw men from Mussolini to the present or something like that. Right. Yeah. They, somebody else had a, what, how democracies end. This was yeah. a big trend in, in the Trump years. So she's somebody with a fancy degree they bring on to sort of give an, like a, credibility to these sort of outrageous accusations they make like if joe scarborough says something people roll their eyes about it but if somebody with a phd, PhD says you know something outrageous people are like oh you know and you have to it's somehow you're supposed to take it more seriously it's the phd from nyu and then it must be a-okay yeah. sorry <laughs> and then if we were to finish out this sort of olympic podium of you know, Nazi analogy users. Speaking of historians, Michael Beschloss, another MSNBC frequent talking head, had nine over the course of a year. So 
Yeah, that's, it seems like that's why you bring on historians. Yeah. His, historians, cable news historians exist to say the crazy things that Joe Scarborough and Joey Reid say, but with, an, with added respectability. Yeah. <laughs> They've got the resume. When they call you a Nazi, it sounds very reputable. Let's, uh, let's play a clip of the uh, video. Wiz, Bill D'Agostino made a video to go alongside Alex's study. Listen. Ron DeSantis, the guy who sent a Gestapo voting uh, squad down to, to you know, uh, to stop vo people from voting. In Nazi Germany, they began to burn books. They began to tell people how to think. That is what's happening with people like Rick DeSantis. What Ron DeSantis is doing um, reminds me, I, I made this analogy on, on Friday on your network, one of the first um, actions of the Nazis in terms of burning mm -hmm. books. When you think of book burnings, your mind might turn to Nazi Germany. This is censorship. May in 1933, what was happening was Nazi youth were burning books. Book burning and banning happened to be staples of fascism and communism. The Nazis did it. The way the Nazis would build a Potemkin village. Tucker Carlson's doing the same thing with the footage from 1-6. Uh, you actually draw a line from Nazi Germany to the U.S. southern border. You remember that back then, uh, boatloads of refugees were, were turned back. Let's put up Charles Lindbergh and the 1940s Nazi sympathizers. They were also called Make America First. Why do you think he uses the term America First? which is taken from history back when Nazi Germany was rising. I checked with a historian, Ruth Ben-Gayad, and she said that language that he's using echoes language used in Nazi propaganda. I'm sorry, is that straight out of Nazi Germany? This is not a reach. I could go back and talk about Nazi Germany, and I'd do it, I'd do it without any concerns whatsoever. And if people can't start drawing the parallels, well, you're just stupid, or you have your head in the sand, or you're one of them. All right, so Alex, in, in total, there were 192 Nazi analogies on these shows. This is where it gets interesting about what's condemned and what's not. So of the 192, 88 were attacks from the right-wingers. 80 of the 88, or almost 91%, were condemned on in the conversation. And uh, uh, that that's fascinating. You said three of the ones that weren't condemned where uh, Senator J.D. Vance uh, suggesting Hitler would support Ron DeSantis. Well, no, no, like in 2016, when Trump was running for president the first time, uh, J.D. Vance, I think, called him the Amer uh, American Hitler. He's obviously changed his tune on that. Ah, uh, I see. Um, and then another one, so a fourth of the eight, was Donald Trump suggesting Hitler would support Ron DeSantis this year. Oh, gotcha. So Gotcha. So of the eight, like basically Republican Nazi analogies that were condemned, half of them were Republicans going after other Republicans. <laughs> See, this is where the studies get really interesting. And that is, you, you, you. part of it is while you're watching these things, we're sort of formulating, what's the pattern? What's the pattern or the practice or, the, or their tactics? So now let's compare. So we got 80 out of 88 were condemned. Now you said... 104 of these were attacks from the left. Of those 104, only 29 were condemned. But then you also have an asterisk because when you remove Robert F. Kennedy Jr., <laughs> then you're down to four out of 79 were condemned. Or 5%. Yeah. So in one, in one of those 
was a PBS Frontline documentary. So it's not even like a like a, an actual new like news segment where you've got people talking about things. Right. So it was. I, I remember this this show is about Elon Musk and how Elon Musk somehow was was totally ruining Twitter. Uh, were they comparing Musk to Hitler or no? Um, they had uh, Yol Roth. Oh yes, on um, the Twitter safety official. Yeah, he tweeted or something. That's right. Uh, something to the effect of that there were like actual Nazis in the Trump White House, and they showed a uh, the tweet. Yeah, and they showed a clip of uh, Kaylee Mac McEnany. Mac McEnany, um basically pointing that out, condemning that, and saying, "See here." This is proof that Twitter is biased against us, which it was. I mean, <laughs> yeah. when you're talking about, uh, he, yeah, I think he also had a tweet attacking Trump as orange man bad or whatever. And and it was funny because the way the PBS documentary presented it, now that you remind me, it was sort of like poor Yoel Roth suddenly discovered he was getting attacked on Fox News. People didn't like him. He was getting nasty grams on Twitter. Oh, my goodness. It's like, you know, it's so... They're actually making it look like poor Yoel compared Trump to Hitler or the Trump administration to Hitler, and it, it didn't go well for him. And they were it sounded sympathetic. And then uh, so then also one of the condemnations you said, uh, Howard Dean went too far. Yeah, for uh, R.E. Melbourne. <laughs> Howard Dean almost screamed. And then... Um, Aaron Burnett questioned Ro Khanna about Jamal Bowman calling Republicans Nazis after the fire alarm pulling. Yes. Uh, so, but then you said when Trump world was the one on the attack, 38 of 41 were condemned. When Republicans were on the, the offensive, seven out of seven were condemned. So you can see the pattern here. And then we're going to go into Alex breaks them down by network. Yeah. So yeah, MSNBC was, as we might expect, the worst. <laughs> Since they were all three of on the on the metal stand. Yeah. So, of the attacks from the right, forty eight out of fifty two were condemned. So that's over ninety two percent. Yeah, MSNBC. There, it's what you would expect. Yeah, and then, so attacks from the left, total, only seven of seventy two were condemned. And so that and MSNBC is unique in a lot of this because a lot of this is. So and so said something. It's like somebody, somebody reporting on something some politician said. On MSNBC, it's a lot of their personalities, mm -hmm. like uh, opinionating about certain things. And so there's nobody on the panel. There's no guests to say, "Now wait a minute, maybe that's too far." Right. And so you had less than ten percent of MSNBC's Nazi analogies were condemned. But when you're talking about removing Robert F. Kennedy. The percentage that were condemned drops to three percent. Two of sixty-six. Yes. Yeah. And one of those, speaking of Joe Scarborough, was Scarborough just having a recollection about the Bush years and what the left said during the Bush years about him. So Yeah. Other I'm, than that, the only one that was condemned is that one we mentioned earlier with Howard Dean. Wow. So and then uh so then we can move on to CNN. Now I, we we played Bill's medley. We have to get to this point. This is one of those points, again, where Alex goes, how nerdy do I get to be? Yeah. Which was Ken Burns, the PBS omnipresence, uh, 
said uh, DeSantis's education policies feel like a Soviet system or the way the Nazis would build a Potemkin village. And we all started laughing like because yeah, a Potemkin village is a Russian thing. <laughs> Gre- a, Grigory pre- Potemkin a- was a Russian general and Catherine the Great's lover and has been used as a thing for basically like a facade for what, what communist regimes show the world to show how great they are. But behind the facade is the, you know, the rundown, bleak depressing yeah. state the, of affairs the pre so it's a pre-soviet russia analogy um and yes ken burns who's who's so arrogant and, and would pres- i mean this is what he does he makes documentaries on history whether it's the the history of baseball or the the history of the statue of liberty uh this is what he does and he just mangled that that the Nazis would build a Potemkin village. And another, just speaking of Bill's video, to go back to MSNBC for a minute, one of the things in the in that montage is they're talking about the history of the phrase America first, because Trump goes around saying, I'm America first, blah, 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 blah. And they say that's a basically a, like a Nazi reference because people before World War II, the isolationists who e- either defended Nazi Germany or said that what goes on in Europe is not our problem, Charles Lindbergh, yeah, being they the said, most prominent. They one. said that that is a phrase that has its origin in basically Nazi sympathizing, but that's not actually true. Woodrow Wilson in 1916, prior to World War One, used that phrase, and I know that because I read it in a Michael Beschloss book. <laughs> well, I, you would expect him to correct Joe Scarborough or something, uh, but uh, it, it is really fascinating. Uh, how MSNBC was dominant in here, and CNN uh, was second, and and that's because they do a lot more of this talking. Yeah, and also CNN, probably even more than MSNBC, was terrified of RFK. Um, of their the twenty seven attacks from the left that CNN talked about, they condemned nineteen for nineteen of them, which is over seventy percent. But if you remove RFK from that. It drops to one out of eight, <laughs> which is twelve and a half percent. So now, what did what was RFK referring to Nazis? Was he talking about um, vaccine companies, vaccine or? mandates, and other COVID era things? I, I he would I think the idea being that if you were to like say like to mandate somebody have a vaccine card or whatever to enter a bar or a restaurant or whatever, that's basically like. You're singling a group of people out, kind of like the Nazis did with the Jews, which is that's a little over the top, which is over the top and ridiculous. You know, the point again, the point of this is not to say my Nazi analogies are better than yours. It's to say, can we stop with this and apply one standard to to it all? So I'm, I'm you would hope after October 7 that maybe they would be a little bit more sensitive to to using these sorts of over-the-top analogies when we've seen actual flagrant, you know, uh, Holocaust-type material. I mean, we have now video of the head of Hamas basically saying that we're going to have one, two, three, many October 7th. I mean, it is, uh, it's really explicit. Although I will say the column I did today makes this point that, you know, Adam Kinzinger goes on NPR and calls his fellow Republicans, if he's, if you can call him that anymore, I wouldn't. He's calling him the terrorist caucus. And that's just like, again, the, 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 the looseness of these metaphors is it's always much more allowed, uh, on, uh, 
uh, on the de- when you were attacking Republicans. All right, so then you had that CBS had six attacks from the right, 83% were condemned. PBS had five attacks from the left, one of which was condemned. But ABC and NBC had no attacks. Yeah, they, um, so not only, yeah, they, I guess you could say they behaved themselves this year. Yeah. Or at least on this one specific thing. Now, uh, let me throw something in here, Alex, at the end, which is, um, you did a thing today on Herr Kessler, Glenn Kessler, the Washington Post fact checker. Um, and he seemed very upset at Joe Biden. Now, this is very rare. Uh, but Joe Biden said he basically doesn't trust Hamas's numbers. This somehow really upset Kessler. Yeah, he. It was a very interesting article because he gives multiple reasons why people should be skeptical of the initial like casualty claims coming out of basically Hamas run entities. But he's like, but that doesn't matter. We should still trust them because deliver quite deliberately probably you know, what you one would assume that um Palestinians don't differentiate between uh combatant and non-combatant deaths and so even beyond just the fog of war and numbers change when you know saying Israel killed let's just say 6000 people sounds worse than saying Israel killed 3000 people you know so they so a higher number helps their propaganda purpose Kessler admits this, and he still says, well, it's, it's still, how dare you? Yeah, I mean, we should underline that Kessler was a reporter at the State Department for a number of years for the Washington Post. And and I think that uh, one of the defenses he came at was the same one we were hearing in the White House briefing room. Well, the State Department recognizes the Gaza Health Ministry numbers. It, it, but the whole point of this is, especially in the fog of something that's just happened, we'll go back to the the non-existent Israeli airstrike on a hospital that would seem to discredit Hamas as a source of information. Yeah. The initial claim um, for the hospital was that 500 people died. Later, even Palestinian sources put the number at like two to 300, which would be like a 40 to 50% reduction in the original estimate. There was like a European intelligence report that put the number closer to 50, which would be, which is like 90% of the initial estimate. But and, how many people know that, you know, or can follow that? So you, you, you see one headline that says 500 people killed according to, you know, Gaza Health Ministry. And it spurred yeah. attacks on you know, protests and violence and uh, attacks on embassies. I mean, there was a, um, and then... When you, when you came with the correction and they said, well, intelligence shows actually that there was no Israeli airstrike in the news media, the so-called fact guardians were like, well, the Arab street believes this anyway. So Israel is Israel's suffering harm. This is the whole problem is they're supposed to be the guardians of facts, but they're really saying we have a narrative we like. And so we want to sound definitive, like we have numbers quickly, but yeah, you can't trust. We've seen this. They exaggerate, and then somehow, somewhere, somebody tries to fix it. Well, the damage has been done, right? I mean, as you suggest, people are probably not going to say, when the correction comes, where in the paper is that going? So this is why you got to come to Newsbusters, see what we're up to, see our studies. 
see our fact checks on the fact checkers. It's all here. Read it once, twice, 24 times a day. Thanks for checking in.